about the gospel and break it down. And there is a wealth of information and many roads that we could run on. Uh, and uh, so we're going to be here a few more weeks, uh, at least two more weeks, to wrap up the series on defining the gospel. Um, but I, I feel like I wanted to come back and revisit the subject of sanctification. Uh, we talked a few Sundays ago, and last week we had Nathan Beal, our missionary, the missionary going to Chile uh, with us, and uh, he was sharing uh, with, from the Word of God last week out of the book of Acts. This Sunday we're back to Romans 6, uh, and 5, 6, 7, and 8 are all making an argument, and Paul lays out this beautiful argument. But we concluded a few weeks ago, and I want to put the quote up on the screen that we concluded with. Um, so that quote, we said that, that sanctification is. Sanctification is the ongoing process of working out that which we already possess, founded on Christ, loved and corrected by the Father, and empowered by the Spirit. And I know that's a mouthful, and we broke that down a little bit. If you have our app, you can go on and listen to the sermon again, and uh, we can, uh, you can get that sermon, or you can even request the sermon in the box outside. And I don't say that because I preached it, but because I think it might give you some backstory to what we're talking about. It might be a help to us to break this down. So sanctification, the ongoing process of working out that which we already possess, founded on Christ, loved and corrected by the Father, and empowered by the Spirit. Now, as we think of the, the term sanctification, it doesn't always make us, wow, that sounds like a fun thing to talk about. Uh, because if we're not careful, we get that uh, almost uh, stodgy kind of understanding of what holiness is. But here's what holiness is. Holiness is the freedom, sanctification is the freedom to enjoy what God intended for you. It's the ability to enjoy it freely and understand all the wealth of what God has given us. And it's acted not out of an obligation, but out of a relationship and a love for God that we want to be a part of. Now, when we come to this subject of being sanctified by grace through faith, how many of you understand this morning that salvation is not of your works, it is of the work of Christ? That he's done that work for us. And we understand that we are secure in the work of Christ. I'm not tentatively hanging on by my fingernails, hoping that I can make it to the end. But that my, 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 my works are not what earns my position with Christ, but it is the finished work of Christ that gives me that standing. Now, as in our day, and so in that day, and has been for the last 2,000 years since the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Romans, the argument has been then, oh, so you're saying now that we're saved, we can live how we want to. You can do whatever you want to do now because it doesn't matter how you live. And that is the farthest thing from Paul's argument that could possibly be the case. He is not making that claim. We read it earlier that we cannot continue in sin that grace would abound. Um, I'm going to read to you these first verses, this main question, and we're going to sum it up for you again. So the summary of Romans 6 is the question. This question is given twice. Is given verse and verse number one and verse number 15. And if you're looking there at your text, I'm going to read those two questions again, but I'm going to read it from Philip's uh, paraphrase of this, and I think it gives some more insight into it for us. And so let's, you listen as you follow along there in the, in the Bible you have in your lap. Now, what shall we do? Shall we go on sinning because we have no law? Let me back up. I want to read the first one. Now, what is our response to be? This is verse one. Shall we sin to our heart's content? And see how far we can exploit the grace of God. What a ghastly thought. 
That's how he concludes it. Then in verse number 15, we hear him say it this way. What shall we do? Shall we go on sinning because we have no law to condemn us anymore, but are living under grace? Never. Just think of what it would mean. You belong to the power which you choose to obey, whether you choose sin, whose reward is death, or God, obedience to whom means the reward of righteousness. And I love the way he says this. What a ghastly thought. A ghastly thought that we can continue. And so the question is made. Then his answer is very emphatic. And we could sum it up by just saying, no. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? No. We will not continue in sin that grace may abound. Why? And he breaks the argument down in three ways. The one, number one, it is no longer our nature. It is no longer our nature to continue in sin because we've been made new in Christ. Number two, he says we are no longer in bondage to that master anymore. That master doesn't rule over us. And number three, we have hope of better fruit in our life. Our life can impact more than it did before because of the work of Christ. Now that's the summary of it. Let's pray together and we're going to get into the message this morning. Father, we ask you to add your blessing this morning to the reading of your word, to the music that has taken place this morning. Lord, I pray, Father, that you would quiet our thoughts and our hearts this morning. Help us, Lord, as we try our best to apply the word of God uh, to our lives today, that, Lord, you would be pleased with all that has taken place here. In the precious name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen. So we've said consistently over the last several weeks that there's three parts of salvation. There's the already, the not yet, and the right now. It's this what's going on. And so already we have been justified. If today you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, you acknowledge him that you, he is Lord and Savior, you acknowledge that you are a sinner deserving the just punishment before God. And on that day where that awakening has come and you understood that you were a sinner before God and you called on him in humble faith, he will save you. And that word, uh, the word believe, called, trust, repent, all of these work together that we turn from and turn to and that we look at him saying, I can do nothing to save myself and I'm calling on you in humble faith to save me. And when I acknowledge that, the next thing that takes place uh, is that I am now beginning this process of sanctification. So this is the already. I have been justified. Then all the way down here, when the trumpet sounds and time will be no more, and I am standing with him in eternity, then I will be glorified. And what does that mean? That means that literally, according to the scripture, 1 Corinthians 15 bears this out, Thessalonians bears this out for us, that we are going to get a new body. That sin will be no more. There'll be no more sickness and no more death and no more parting and no more sorrow. Revelation 22 is very clear on this. All those things will be passed away. The former things are gone. And we will be glorified. You understand we're going to get a body without sin, without insecurities, without fears, that we're going to stand before him and be able to praise him and worship him with all those things gone. In the last two years, we've buried how many people? We've said goodbye, and we said goodbye to Brother Jerry just this last week, and we're going to have a memorial for him this Saturday. And we say goodbye to people we love, but that will be behind us then. Death will have no more power. And that will be the realization of what Christ did on the cross. And so we often are over here as justified saints looking forward to the sweet by and by, and rightly so. But where we live is in the nasty now and now. We're right here in the middle of all of this. And we struggle sometimes to understand how that reality and that reality 
boister me up to do the work that God has called me to do. And so we struggle in the midst of this. So let me sum it up for you. Justification then delivers me from the, the penalty of sin. No longer am I under sin's penalty. Glorification is going to re- re- deliver me from the presence of sin. Sin will be gone. I'll be no longer in the presence of it. Sanctification has delivered me from the power of sin. And it's continually delivering me from the power of sin. It is showing me of all that I got in Christ that sin no longer has to reign over me. I don't have to be in bondage to sin. I don't have to be bound to run to gossip or backbiting. I don't have to be bound to run to lust or indulgence. Addictions do not have to grip a hold of me anymore. Because of the power of the cross, we can have freedom. And so Paul is saying to us, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? No way. What a ghastly thought. So I want to give you these three words this morning. As we talk about this, we're going to talk about, first off, family. We're going to talk about freedom. And we're going to talk about fruit. The family, the freedom, and the fruit. You see, you cannot separate this morning justification and sanctification. And some would say this, well, I I accepted Christ as my Savior. I'm just not living for him right now. Let me say this. If you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you are either being corrected to grow in grace, you're under his chastisement, or you have had false profession. Because the Bible tells me very clearly if we are without correction, then we are illegitimate children. Hebrews bears that out for us. We are working. So you cannot separate and say, well, I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior, but I'm not really interested in that holy living stuff. Because a person who has been saved by grace is going to walk into sanctification. And it is not to say, by no means, do not hear me say this morning, that you're going to live sinlessly perfect. Because that's not going to happen. Sin remains, but it no longer reigns. Sin does not have to reign in our life anymore. You have been justified and you are being sanctified. Now here's the wonderful thing about it is God doesn't do the same thing in everybody's life the same way. How many of you understand we all grow at different rates and at different times? Some of us, when God saved us, the first thing he started working on was our tongue. Others of us, when 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 God saved us, the first thing he started working on was our thoughts Others, God started working on our hands. God started working on things in our, our different areas of our life became under the light of the gospel and the word of God first, and God grows us. You know, here's the thing I like. I like everything to be symmetrical and in its place. And if I was going to sanctify everybody, I would have the same steps for everybody to walk through at the same exact time. And I would want all trees to be the same height everywhere. That's how I would grow everything. That's how I would grow Christians. But God doesn't grow us that way. God does it for our good and for his glory, and he grows us in different ways and at different rates, but he is growing us into the likeness of his son. He is bringing us to be more like Jesus. And by the way, that ought to make us rejoice in the fact that he could take a rebel such as us and bring us into the likeness of his son. That's what he's doing. So let me say this, grace is not then open to exploitation. Grace is the means of transformation. God is using grace to transform us into the likeness of his son. To separate sanctification from justification, Calvin said, would be a travesty. And it would be to tear the person of Christ apart. 
So the big question, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? No way, God forbid, you cannot continue to do this. Paul appeals to this relationship uh, that we have with Christ, that we are found in him. He illustrates the reality by the term slavery. And he's going to use the word servant. He's making this illustration. So our three words we come back to again, family, freedom, and fruit. Number one, family. Paul argues that we are with Christ at our salvation. That we are in Christ and we are with Christ and Christ is in us. All of this is the same, that we are identified with him. We have been given now the life in Christ. We have been taken from Adam's family and placed into Christ's family. Now now get this, when you were born the first time, you were born a son or a daughter of Adam. You are in Adam's race, and Adam's race is condemned. The Romans 5, 12, wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. We are all in Adam's race, and all of Adam's descendants must die because of Adam's sin and our inherent sin. We have willfully chosen to sin against God, and we are sinners by nature. You see, that's the thing. I didn't just need a behavioral modification at salvation. This one? We don't know. Up there. I got to stay inside this zone now, okay? All right. We'll figure this out. Brother Mike, if it'd be better to go to a handheld, I can do that. We're good? Okay. Um, So, where were we? We were in Adam. That's right. We're in Adam, and we're going to die in Adam. Because all have sinned, and all of Adam's descendants are going to die. But when Christ came, Christ started a whole new uh, uh, line and lineage. Christ came in, and he did what the second Adam, first Adam, couldn't do. The first Adam came, and he stood before a tree and disobeyed. Our second Adam, Christ, came. He stood before a tree, and he obeyed. He did everything that God the Father wanted him to do. And in his death and in his righteousness, we have died with him and we are made alive with Christ. And so we are taken out of Adam's family and we are placed into the family and the lineage of Christ. And he says, brethren, behold now, we are the sons of God. We are now sons of God. We are a part of Adam's family, our Christ's family, and he is our elder brother. God the Father is our heavenly Father, and we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit under the day of redemption. We're in a new family now. And, and now the reward of that family is life eternal. And so that's the hope we have of being taken out of Christ. So Paul is not saying here that somehow or another we would not continue to sin. He's not saying it's an impossibility for us to sin. How many of you here this morning, you could testify with me that it's not an impossibility? Yeah, only a few of you. The rest of you have lived really good weeks. It's been amazing weeks for y'all. We've all failed him, right? We've all fallen short, and we see that tendency, as the songwriter said, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Because we live now with a sin nature that has lost its authority over us, but it still remains with us. And Paul is stating not the impossibility of sin, but that is it against our nature to sin. We can still sin, but we cannot enjoy it as we once did. Oh, you can enjoy it for a time, but if you're a believer, the Spirit of God will begin to correct and begin to cajole, and he will send people along the way to nag you and to aggravate you, and you'll start seeing believers who are Christians coming along, and you'll see them coming, and you'll be like, oh, man, 
and your phone will ring and you'll see somebody you know loves the Lord and you'll be like, yeah, talk to them later. Because the Holy Spirit of God uses all those. He uses the body of Christ to bring us along into the likeness of his son. He draws us into that. See, it is no longer fit for us who are in Christ to continue to live in sin. You see, we have a new family now. A boy was with some of his buddies. His buddies were in their uh, late teen years, and they were messing around with some things they shouldn't have been, and somebody opened some alcohol. And they were passing around and yucking it up and laughing, and one boy that was there, he was known to be kind of the, the good guy. And they said, hey, man, take some of this. He said, no, no, I'm not going to do it. No, I don't want any. I don't want any. He said, come on, man. It won't hurt you. Try it. One of the other boys hollered. He said, nah, leave him alone. He's afraid of what his dad will do if he finds out. How many of you ever had a dad like that? Yeah. Yeah. He's afraid of what his dad will do if he finds out. And the boy stopped and he said, no, actually, I'm afraid of what it will do to my dad if he finds out. And see, friends, that's the difference between living under law and living in relationship with a father who loves us. Because it's not about you and I afraid anymore of what the law will do to us if it finds out. But we now have a heart that says, I'm concerned of what it will do to my father. Because he knows all of this. And I don't want to disappoint my father. Because you understand all that he's given me and all that I have from him. And so, no, I'm not afraid of what my dad will do. What will my dad do? Well, he'll bring me in. He'll put a robe on my back. He'll put my back and a ring on my finger. He'll put shoes on my feet. He'll kiss my cheek and he'll bring me in the home. And he'll say, my son, which was lost, is found. And he'll welcome me back in. That's what my father will do. But we understand that while we're in a far country, our father is grieved. And we're concerned that we don't want to grieve the Father because we know the heart of the Father and we love him so much. You see, friends, this morning we've been placed in a new family. It's about the relationship that we have with him, not because of these rules that sometimes we think, well, okay, so pastor, rules don't matter? No, the law is not sin. The law is good. The law is wonderful. It's the motive for my obeying the law. You understand? Your motive now as a believer is not that you will face hell. Your motive now is that you will wound the heart of your Savior. And we no longer want to walk that way. Is our heart grieved over what our sin has done to him? And I really think that is a, a key test to see our development as believers. Are we grieved over what our sin does to the Father? Or are we more grieved of what our sin might cost us? So we have died with Christ. We believe we will be raised with Christ. And I love what Romans chapter number 6 says, and this tells me this must have been written by a southerner. Verse 11, likewise reckon. <laughs> reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin and alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Right now, we can write it down. We can reckon it. The word reckon is to, to tally it up. Okay, Brother Mike. I think I'm... I'm 
we're, we're ready to go now. All right. Let's see if I can do this without my hands now. I don't know if I can talk without them. <clears throat> we have died with Christ. We will be raised with him. That sounds a lot better too, by the way. Freedom. We said first off family, second freedom. Paul is using the illustration of slavery here. And he even says, he said, I'm doing this because these illustrations, they do a good job of getting down to where the rubber meets the road. Paul is using the word slavery to show us that sin is no longer our slave master. Before I was justified, before I was made right with Christ at salvation, then my master was sin, the sin nature. He ruled over me. He told me what I could do and what I couldn't do. And even when I would do good, I found that sin had an ill motive behind the good I would do. And I was often laboring under false pretenses of self-righteousness and saying, well, at least I'm not as bad as fill in the blank. And so freedom says that this sin master, this slave master has been killed. No longer can he master. This morning, I want you to understand, your old man cannot rule over you if you're a believer this morning. He cannot take the authority over you. We choose who we will obey. We choose whoever we choose becomes our master. We are mastered by what masters us. Let me just say as a side note this morning, when you allow sin to reign in your life, it reigns over whatever you reign over. Now think about that, dads. God has given you authority over your family and a responsibility to lead and love. And when you let sin reign over you, you have let sin reign over your home. That ought to be a sobering thought. It applies in every area that we could think of. And sin is no longer that master, but it's a choice to follow him. When, we, when sin has dominion over us, it controls us and it controls our dominion. And what is he saying? This slave master has been put to death. He can no longer reign over you. We run back, though, when we choose to sin to our old master, and we fail to reckon that we have been made free. It's the idea that you and I have been conditioned for captivity. Conditioned for captivity. Here's how they would do it. You take a young animal, maybe an elephant, when he's young, and you put a large chain around the ankle. And you hold that thing to a large chain with a large stake, and that little baby elephant will run to the end of that chain and pull on it, and it can't get away. And it'll fight to get away and fight to get away and fight to get away, and before long, it'll give up trying to get away. And if you do it long enough, you can just simply tie a rope around the ankle. And it'll assume that it can't get free anymore. And a lot of believers are failing to understand that the slave master is dead. That you do not have to obey the slave master anymore because the spirit of God lives in you. And it's the same, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you. Stop obeying the slave master who's been put out. Stop yielding to him anymore. And Paul's making that argument. You are no longer under that slave master. Still, sin still brings distractions and takes us further than we want to go. It keeps us longer than we want to stay and it costs us far more than we want to pay. Yet obedience to Christ will produce the sanctification in our life. As we obey, we are becoming more like Christ. How do we obey? By faith, we obey. By faith. I don't know how this works, but he said, be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted. Well, I think I'll be kind and I obey. Huh. That's interesting. That worked. 
And we begin to progress through this by obeying in the power of the Spirit. And so finally we see the fruit. Look, if you would, at the fruit here at the very end of it. Verse number 21. What fruit had ye in those things whereof you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. Can we not all testify that the fruit of the old man is not something we're proud of? I mean, even us who've grown up in church, when we've yielded to the old man and allowed the old man to have his way, it has produced a fruit unto death time and time again. He said, you're ashamed of that, verse number 22, but now being made free from sin and become the servants of God, ye have your fruit unto holiness. And by the way, not only do you get to be more like Christ here, not only are you walking with him here, but the end is everlasting life. We look forward to. Let me say, Christian, this morning in conclusion, the Christian life is not one of despair. It is not one of surrender. But the Christian life is one of hope. Constantly believing and hoping that God is working in us. Don't have the mentality, well, I'm just a man, I'm going to fail, and so, you know, it's just what you expect. We're all going to make mistakes. And we kind of waller in that mediocre kind of mentality. Christian, we don't have to live there. We can have victory in Christ. The victory has been purchased for us. The victory has been promised to us. And so now I can live in faith that I have been justified. I will be glorified. And right now, he is doing the work to make me sanctified. He is lifting me up. We, we sang the song when I was growing up. I'm pressing on the upward way. New heights I'm gaining every day. Still praying as I'm onward bound. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. You know what? Lord, lift me up and let me stand. By faith on heaven's table land, a higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. My heart hath no desire to stay where doubts arise and fears dismay. Though some may dwell where these abound, Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. There is a higher ground to walk as believers. As we have been justified, he is doing the work to sanctify us. And one day, he's going to glorify us. Amen. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we believe, Lord, that even the distractions were not a mistake this morning. Uh, Lord, none of that caught you by surprise. Lord, I pray, Father, that you would take what has been said today and, Lord, you would apply it to our hearts. Lord, I pray, Father, that the songs we have sung together would be applied. Father, you would have your will and way in our midst this morning. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, I'll ask you to stand to your feet this morning. I don't know where you're at, but if you're this morning, you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I hope that you'll get that settled today. I'd love to take a Bible and show you from the Word of God how you can know it for sure. We have people all over this room that would be happy to do that with you. Don't leave with that question on your heart today. Believer, I don't know where you're at. Maybe there's a sin that you've been giving into and you've thought, I just can't seem to get the victory. The victory is available in Christ. There is a work of sanctification being done. Don't quit. Don't give up.
Don't surrender. Don't yield. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, continue to drive this deep into our hearts this morning. Holy Spirit of God, do a work that only you can do. Lord, thank you, Lord, that you saved us by your grace. Father, thank you that you're sustaining us today by your grace. Father, thank you that one day we will stand before you in your grace. Work in us now. In the precious name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen. You can be seated there if you would just for a moment. We have a busy summer, spring going on right now, and I want to just give you these couple of things here. Um, we have one, two, three, four, five missions trips that people have gone on or are going to go on. Of course, this morning, Pastor Casey is in India. Let's make sure we keep him in prayer this morning. As he's there, he texted me early this morning. Well, actually, late last night, that was early this morning there. And, um, and he's there in India. And uh, so let's continue to pray for him as he's away from us. And then uh, we have uh, the Roberts, uh, Lauren and Miss Jessica. They're going to be going to Brazil this summer. Olivia and Drew are going to Jamaica. And uh, Drew, where are you at over there, man? Drew's back there. Drew and Miss Olivia are going to be going to Jamaica with the Encounter team as well. Uh, and then uh, our juniors and seniors are going to be taking a trip to Utah to visit Dominic Ganino. And uh, so our juniors and seniors in high school are, going to, are planning right now to do that work as well. And so these are all the mission trips that are going to, going to go on. Um, but we also have an opening for one more uh, mission trip. Brother John Wilson, uh, I'm not sure where Brother John's at. There he is. He's coming. All right, come on down. Brother John Wilson is going to be going to Haiti, and so he's just going to share a word on this, and there's just a, an opportunity for some of you adults that might be interested. Yeah, so I have an opportunity again this year. I went to Haiti a few years back, and this is with the same group uh, of people. A lot of their mission work is hard work. It is cement. It is hauling cinder blocks. It is building things, okay? They also have opened up another opportunity there for eyeglasses. There's, imagine being in a third world country and everything you see is blurry. What kind of life are you going to have? Really. So that's an opportunity. One of the ladies that um, was there was completely blind, and she went to this thinking that they would help her to see. And, of course, she can't, right? She's completely blind. So, but that led to another ministry. We're going to actually help build her a house. So we're just a small little part of a bigger project, but actually go there and help a blind person build a house. That's kind of cool. So the missions trip is June 23rd. It is a week long. The cost is about $1,100, depending on airfare tickets. So if there's anybody that does want to go, healthy adults, right, because there's some heavy lifting going on, um, let me know as soon as possible because airline tickets are very, I mean, they're pretty sketchy. I mean, they, they fill up really, really quickly. You can imagine there's not a whole lot of flights that go in and out of Haiti, okay? Um, but as part of the congregation, if there's anything you can do to help provide things for us, some of the things that we would like to do is um, toiletries are in high demand, deodorant, toothpaste, toothbrushes, soap, children's underwear, children's vitamins, pain medication, um, sunglasses of all things. I never thought of that, but imagine being in a sunny place without a sunglass. Hence, uh, 
that affects their vision, right? So that's how it starts. Um, we go down there and we buy rice and we buy beans and we buy uh, spaghetti and sugar and all kinds of things and just give them out to the local orphanages. We, we visit three orphanages. We actually live at one of the orphanages. We go to a youth home. We go to an infant hospital. And then we also go to a place that I hadn't been before. I don't know what I'll do. But um, I think I might just stand outside and sing and play guitar out there. But it's they call it the home of the dying. So people that have... Uh, they have nowhere else to go, right? And that they're, they're at the end of their lives. So um, they're going to go there. We are working with nine Haitians. Um, so they will help us also. And the last trip that they were down there, because of all the political unrest that was there uh, throughout the past year, um, the workers that we know that work with us, they were visibly skinnier. I mean, the food just dries up so quickly. So that's so the food mission is, is just a huge deal for them. So thank you all for anything you can do. If there's anything that uh, you want more information from me, feel free to talk to me. My number is in the directory. Okay? Thank you. Appreciate it. So, yeah, this is for healthy adults. He mentioned that already. And so, see, Brother John, if you are interested in that, there's openings for you to go even this summer. And so, all of these exciting opportunities, and I appreciate the way uh, you guys are just a heart to give toward missions. Uh, this morning, uh, the Myeries and um, Brother Mark and uh, Miss Karen Streetman, they're putting on a spaghetti dinner out here in the fellowship hall. And that's just a fundraiser to help with Drew, his trip to go to... Uh, Jamaica, and then also for Olivia, as they're both going to be going there with the Encounter team. And so if you'd would be like to stay today and eat lunch with us, you can do that. It's just for a donation. Anything you want to give toward their trip, that'll be great. And so that's going to be going on. We have a little thank you video from Olivia, I believe. We'll play that Hi, and we'll be family. done. It's Olivia Streaman here in Ramsour, North Carolina. Just want to take a brief moment to say thank you so much for coming out to the spaghetti dinner today. These funds are going to help support myself and Drew Mayuri as Encounter travels to Jamaica this upcoming April. Some of the things that I'm really looking forward to are going to the deaf school and using sign language to communicate with the children, doing street evangelism, going to Dunn's River Falls and climbing up a waterfall, going to the beach, but also really just all the different ministry opportunities that we get to do there. I'm super excited working with our missionary, Doug McCulpus, while we're there. Again, just thank you so much for supporting me thus far on my journeys with Encounter, and I'll see you all in May. Bye, guys. Amen. Very good. We wanted you to see that. And so, um, Drew, did you want to lead in prayer today? No? <laughs> I put you on the spot, man. I asked your dad if I could do that earlier. He said, yeah, do it. So uh, let's pray together for the food, and um, well, if you're going to stay for that and pray to be dismissed today, would you stand with me as we pray? Father, we do thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to give back. Uh, and to help these young people as they go. Uh, Lord, I pray, Father, that you would um, just empower the work. Lord, even Pastor Casey this morning, as he's already there on the field, do a work through them as they're there in India. Uh, Lord, the other trips that will be taking place this year, Lord, may you work in our, our people as they labor in those places. And Lord, I pray, Father, that you would guide our steps now, uh, bless our time of fellowship and the food that will be served out there and those that are able to stay and be a part of it. God bless, and we thank you for all that you've done. In Jesus' precious name, amen. God bless you, folks. We'll see you tonight, 6 o'clock.